It's a real joy to have you with us today. We're thankful that you're here. I want to remind you, we have the discovery class for new members and those who are interested in membership, and uh, we hope you'll take advantage of that. It's at 12.15 today. Our scripture comes from Psalm 37. It's a wonderful psalm. I, I use this word, it's a pun, it's delightful. Delight your ways in the Lord. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Please follow along as I read uh, beginning in verse 1. It's a wisdom psalm. It's an instructional psalm. It's a psalm in the Hebrew that is based on the Hebrew alphabet. Every new section begins with the succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Don't fret because of those who are evil. Or, they in, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe passage. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Don't fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. My Thursday morning is a day that I am thinking about my sermon more than any other day than possibly Sunday morning. So Thursday morning, I was going through my morning routine, scripture and prayer and, and trying to clear out my inbox of email. And three headlines just jumped out at me. The first one is one we can all identify with. Somebody, I don't even know who this is, but somebody sends me a weekly report on new houses for sale in St. Tammany Parish. And week after week, I am amazed at how much housing costs, I suppose around the country, but for our benefit in St. Tammany Parish. So I've Getting to think about that, the next headline that I read, I'd heard about during the week, but there is a billionaire in India, one of the world's richest people, worth something like $147 billion. I'd never heard of his name, have never heard of his country, his company, didn't know it existed but last week, short sellers, if you want to know what that is, you just have to look it up. <laughs> short sellers said that that company was basically 
fraudulent and wasn't going to survive. And so this billionaire lost $52 billion last week. And you thought your week was bad. <laughs> and then the, the real news of the week, I suppose, was about Tom Brady. Because Tom Brady re-retired last week. On exactly the same day, a year later, as he retired last year. And most of you know, he didn't really retire. He retired, but he, a few weeks later, he decided he was going to play again. And Tom Brady is one of those things I was trying to decide. Is there anybody here over about 10 years of age who doesn't know who Tom Brady is? After all, we're pretty much a football church, and we're all interested in a 43-year-old who plays like a 33-year-old, who has every kind of record, who is called the GOAT, the greatest of all time, who has seven Super Bowl rings, which is more Super Bowl victories than the Patriots have or the Steelers have. By himself, he has seven Super Bowl rings. So when Tom Brady re-retires, it's a big thing. Now, I got to tell you this to begin with. I almost know nothing about Tom Brady, the man. I know a lot about Tom Brady, the football player. So I'm not making any judgments here. I'm just talking about what you read this week. Well, here's the thing that jumped off the page at what I was reading Thursday morning. Tom Brady always already has a contract with one of those networks that, that uh, promotes and shows the, the NFL, and it's a 10-year contract. And the total contract is $375 million. So I'm just making it simple, $37.5 million a year. And then the old Whalen got to thinking, what would I do with $37.5 million? Well, I probably would buy one of those expensive houses in St. Tammany Parish. <laughs> but then, then the new Waylon came back in. If you have that much money, what does that mean? Are you fulfilled? Do you live at peace? Do you have joy in your heart? Do you feel a sense of hope? That's what this passage of Scripture is about. It's about how you live life. It's about how you delight in the Lord. It's about how you live in the way that God created you to live.
that you would have joy and peace and love and hope and victory and the blessing that comes from knowing God and the hope that is found in him. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This has always been one of my favorite Psalms and verse four has always been one of my favorite verses because there was a time in which I went to a pastor friend and I poured out my heart to him. I I told him the desires of my heart. I told him how nothing was working out. And he reminded me of Psalm 37, 4, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And every time I look at this passage of scripture, I think of it in that way and I think of it through that prism of thinking about those times in life that we don't know what to do and we don't know how to do it and life is not what we intended it to be. And this seems to be the universal answer for every one of us. Delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. By the way, that experience is something along these lines. You you trust God. You give him everything. You depend on him. You call upon him. You let him be the Lord of your life. And he blesses you immensely. But this is not a prosperity gospel sermon. In fact, you know, I don't head in that direction. That's not what this is. It's not that God is your piggy bank. You turn it over and shake it every time you need something. That's not what this is about. This is about getting in tune with God. What I learned in my experience is it's not so much that I get the desires of my heart, but that my heart's desires become like God's desires. And then when I am in tune with God, I find peace and joy and hope and love because those come from God and he blesses us with them. When you look at this passage of scripture, you find that in those 11 verses in the Hebrew language, there are five strong verbs and each one of them is an imperative. The first one is a negative imperative and the next four are positive imperatives. So I want to give you in my sermon exactly in that way. I want to give you the the negative one, the what you don't do, and then I want to give you four positive ones. How do you delight in the Lord? How do you delight in life itself? How do you have the meaning that God intended for you in life? So five things. The first one is this. Reject worldly ways. Verse 1 tells us a a common theme of the Psalms. Don't fret over evildoers. Don't envy evildoers. Don't envy other people who have more money than you do or who have more prestige than you have or more power than you have. Don't envy those people. 
That's a great thing to remember when you're, when you're 15 years old. Don't envy other people. Know who you are in Christ. Know what God is doing in your heart and delight in the Lord. If you delight in what other people have, you will always be unhappy. Doesn't matter if you're 15 or 55. You will always be dissatisfied. You will always be yearning and wanting something else. And when you get the something else, there'll be another thing that you want and another thing and another thing. Worldly ways are to live in envy instead of living for God. Instead of putting God first, we put self first, or we put somebody else's good fortune first, or we look at other people and we make the terrible assumption that everything good happens in their life and they never have anything to worry about or to be anxious about or to grieve over or to, to, to care about. Everything happens to them. Think of how ridiculous that is. The more people you know, the more ridiculous it is. So God says, don't fret. Don't be envious. Don't be desirous for what other people have because their life is like yours. And in fact, if they're evildoers and have rejected God, they have nothing to hope for. They have nothing to look forward to. Whatever they have now, this is your life. And there is nothing else for you. Reject worldly ways. A second thing that the scripture tells us in this passage, and now one of the positive things, is in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. In fact, it says exactly those words. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Live with me. Live in my presence. And I will be there with you, and you can count on me. Verse 4 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of the Lord. The whole idea here is one of trust. That God knows me by name, that he knows my hurts, my feelings, my emotions, my desires, my everything. That he understands me that he knows who I am and what I need in life. And I need to trust him. And I need to please him. And I need to have a heart that pleases God. And I need to do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. That seems to be the whole idea here that I depend on God, that I let him be in control, knowing that he knows me and cares about me and wants the best for me in all of life. What I find myself doing is I, I find myself reminding God and reminding myself that I trust him. Because nobody 
has everything in life that works out for them. Everybody has emotions. Everybody is up and down. Everybody gets up some mornings and feels really good. And all of us get up some mornings and wonder if we can make it through the day. In those times, I I try to say to God, God, I trust you. I don't understand what is happening. I don't know what is going on around me. I don't know what has happened to my friends. I don't know what has happened to my family, but I trust you. I know who you are. I know that you love me. I know you created me. I know you gave your son to die upon the cross for me. I know you Right now, do you know what the Bible has said? said? Jesus is right now preparing a place for us. He told his first disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am, you may be also. So think about our future. Think about what God means to us. God, I trust you. You've given me your spirit. And when your spirit came, you brought and and started producing fruit in my life, peace and joy and hope and love, kindness and goodness. Trust in the Lord and do good. The third thing that you find in this passage of Scripture is that we are to rejoice in the upside-down life. Now, maybe you're, maybe, and I think it's appropriate, what in the world is the upside-down life? What does that mean? Well, when Jesus came, when he spoke to his disciples, When he led them, he told them about things that were upside down. Blessed are the poor. That's upside down. Blessed are those who mourn. That's upside down. Blessed are the meek. The Roman world, the New Testament was written in the, Rome, in the time of the Roman world. The Roman world hated humility. They thought it was the weakest and the worst of qualities. And if you would never describe anyone as being humble... Because they hated the whole idea. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came and turned it all upside down, and he told us to be humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so God wants us to choose the upside-down life. Love your enemies. Pray for those who abuse you. Forgive those who have harmed you. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Now, can can I tell you something about the way you live and the time that you live? 
all of those, because of your knowledge of Christianity and of Scripture, all of the, those things sound right to you. But when Jesus came, all of those things sounded wrong, and he turned it upside down. And God wants us to get where he is. Remember when Paul and that missionary party went on the second missionary journey, they went to a place in Greece called Thessalonica, and they got run out of Thessalonica because they preached the gospel. And this is what those who started the riot said. Those people who have turned the world upside down have come here also. That's what Jesus came to do, and that's what Jesus came for us to do, to turn the world upside down, to live and rejoice and express ourselves in an upside-down point of view. So God wants us to choose humility. God wants us to choose sacrifice. Which person apart from God, which secular person would ever choose to live a sacrificial lifestyle? Do you ever think about missionaries that go to dangerous places? We have people in this church who are in places where they never tell us exactly where they are because it's a dangerous place. Do you ever wonder what's life like for them? Are they sad that they have left America with this luxuriant, affluent lifestyle? Do they wish they had the, the newest car and an expensive house? Do they wish that they could have all the things that we could have? If they're any like that, I've never met a missionary who felt that way. Never. I've, let, I've met a lot of missionaries. Used to be among Southern Baptists. Every fourth year, you got a furlough and come back home and spend time with family, eight or nine months, be with family. And then they would go back. And every time I would talk to one of them, they would talk about how different the country is and how they couldn't get wait to get back. Why would they want to do that? Because they were in the will of the Lord. Because they were delighting in the Lord. And when you delight in the Lord, He gives you the desires of your heart. And He begins the process of changing us to make us how He wants us to be. Choose humility. Choose sacrifice. Choose Trust, depend on God, and when we do so, we, we start to experience fulfillment and meaning and significance in life because we're living life the way God wanted us to live, which is an upside-down way of living. Remember John the Baptist? Here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Among those born of woman... Among those born in the time of the old covenant, no one was greater than John. You've got a lot of people to compare with. Think of Moses and Abraham and David 
and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and so many others. No one greater in the old covenant than John the Baptist. But then he said, but those of you who trust in me are greater. And what he meant was that we are a part of the redemption of the world and the Spirit of God to dwell within us. And John was. He was an upside-down kind of person. Remember, he lived in the wilderness. He ate locusts and wild honey. He dressed in a different kind of way. He preached the Word of God. He called people to depend on God and follow God and to love God and to obey God. And John, because he was a straight talker and because he spoke the word of truth and spoke the word of God, there was a a ruler in his day. His name was Herod Antipas. He came from the line of Herod the Great. He He was king over Israel. And Herod Antipas uh, took his half-brother Philip's wife as his own wife. And John the Baptist called him out on it. Simply doing what all of the Scripture tells us to do. In all of Scripture, immorality is condemned. It's always. That's all John did. Herod Antipas didn't know what to do with John. On the one hand, he hated him, and on the other hand, he there was something about John that attracted him. So instead of killing him, he threw him in prison, and, and it seems that he didn't intend to kill him. But then Herod Antipas had a party, and he invited important People, people he wanted to impress, people that he had to impress. And his new wife's daughter danced for the group. And for whatever that means, Herod was pleased and said to her, whatever you ask, I will give to you trying to impress the people around him. And she didn't know what to ask, so she went to her mother, Herod's new wife, and said, what should I ask? And this woman was not happy with John the Baptist. And she said, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a serving tray. And as barbaric as that sounds, as awful as that sounds, that's what they did. John the Baptist had been in prison, and in prison he was isolated from everything that was going on in the world. He had prepared the way of the Lord. He had preached the word. He had sacrificed himself. He had proclaimed the coming of the kingdom of God. But in prison, he wasn't sure, and he couldn't see anything, didn't know what had happened. And what Jesus was doing this time was, in in Luke chapter 7, it makes it very clear. The, The blind were seeing, the dead were being raised. 
The, the gospel was being preached. So John sent disciples to Jesus and he asked a question. Are you the one? We, he didn't say it this way. I'm putting words in his mouth. We thought you were the one. We believed you were the one. Are you the one or should we look for someone else? And, and Jesus in compassion, in kindness, said to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. What had they seen and heard? They had seen that the blind received sight, the lame walk, the, the leprosy, the leprous are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor in the Jewish way of thinking in that day, if you were poor, you were evil. And you were being punished because of it. And John knew in that upside down way of living that when the gospel was preached to the poor, it was fulfilling Luke, it was fulfilling Isaiah, and it was also showing that the Messiah had come. Rejoice in the upside-down life. The fourth thing to do is the, if I were going to guess the hardest thing I'm going to tell you to do, this is it. Wait patiently on the Lord. Be still and know the Lord. Wait patiently for God. That's what the, the psalmist is saying. You, you're looking at the, the wicked and being envious. You're looking at, at people who are apart from God and, and wondering why you're not doing the same things they're doing. Wait patiently on the Lord and you will see it because the wicked are not going to continue long. That's what the, 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 uh, the psalmist says in this passage of Scripture, in verses 10 and 11, a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek, the gentle, the kind will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Now I said, if I could guess, the hardest thing here is for you to be patient. It's because I listen to all of you. And it's because I have a hard time being patient. And I think if we would look at it from a little different point of view, it would be very different. Because to be patient means that you have to like whatever's happened. And you have to just wait and be passive and do nothing. And we don't like being passive. But in reality, the word patient has nothing to do with being passive has everything to be to do with being trustful, to be dependent on God, of putting God first. In the Old Testament, the word for patience is the word for long-suffering. Now, we don't use that word, but you just put it together and think about it a little bit, and you understand what it means. It's also the word for perseverance. I think what God has in mind when he calls on us to be patient, patient is to persevere. For us to understand that, that we can choose to do this. That you can choose to be patient. Even though none of us, not one of us, look at all the children, 
Look at all the babies. Nobody is born patient. Nobody comes here patient. It's something you choose to do. It's something you decide to do. It's something you determine to do. The fifth thing is this. Seek God with all your heart and put Him above all else. That's exactly what Jesus told us to do. Seek first the kingdom of God. When you are worried about food and clothing, when you are anxious, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all of these things that you are anxious about will be taken care of because you've put God first, because you've sought Him with all your heart. That's what this psalm is telling. Trust God. Let Him be in control. Let Him be the Lord of your life. Let Him have your life. And say unto Him, God, I love you. I trust you. I want to know you. And I want you in my life. Here's what I want to happen to me today. I want to determine to trust God more. And in those hard times of life to say to God, God, I don't understand this, but I trust you. I know that you love me. I know that you have forgiven me. I know that you care for me. God, I want to trust you more. I want to ask all of you to make that kind of commitment to God. But there's some of you who have been on the edge of giving your life to Christ, and I really want to ask you to trust Christ, to invite Him into your life, to let Him be in control. And then after my prayer, I want to ask you to walk to the front. Pray here at the steps. Pray with the pastor. Confess by walking to the front that you have trusted Christ and you have followed Him. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. And then the music will have begun. The pastors will be at the front. It'll be the time for you to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Holy Scripture. We thank you that it is true in word, but it's true to life and that it affects the way that we live. God, please speak now. God, I know that there are people who are on the edge. Would you draw them and would you help them to understand that you are calling and you are drawing them? And God, there are people all over this auditorium like I am who know you and have followed you and have trusted you. And yet, God, we want to trust you more. Please lead us to do that and help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.